Hello and welcome back. Welcome everybody. We are at our Live Positive Get Together and we're coming up to the time of year that every guilty Jewish woman loves. We're coming up to the time of tshuva and we can allow ourselves all the guilt that we ever began to feel. We can decide to feel guilty about absolutely everything because Elo, well, if you don't feel guilty in Elo, then there must be something wrong. So we need to help ourselves to know what really do we need to do tshuva for and what don't we need to do tshuva for. Because we're going to find that there are lots of situations in our lives where we feel guilty and yet we really are not guilty because we didn't do anything wrong. So, for all of you who love buying the ticket to the guilt trip out there, we're going to be addressing today how to know when it's guilt, when it's unnecessary guilt, or how to know when what I'm feeling is actually a healthy and positive remorse. So you'll hear in various classes and various different people with various definitions for the words guilt and remorse and having done something wrong, for the purposes of our discussion today, remorse is a positive feeling that we regret having done something wrong that prompts us to make it up. On the other hand, guilt, for our purposes today, is a feeling that I'm bad, a feeling that I must be inherently guilty and that's why things are going wrong in my life and it's not about having done tshuva because it lingers even after we have actually done tshuva. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. How can we help ourselves to recognize the difference, to know the difference, and to rid ourselves, most importantly, of the negative feelings that we don't want to have anymore. The guilt that's unnecessary, that holds us back and prevents us from being able to live a life that is happy, that is full of simcha, that is meaningful, and that is, that is a life that's of closeness to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, which is what, the way that we want to live. So, Many years ago, I've mentioned to you, I'm sure I've mentioned before, but we're going to bring in here whatever is relevant to the topic at hand. I was teaching a wonderful group in Beit Shemesh, a wonderful group of seniors. And they were the group that was supposed to be 60s and over. And in fact, most of the ladies were in their 70s, 80s, and there were even some in their 90s. They were a wonderful group, and I really, really enjoyed being with them. And one of the ladies, when we were talking about guilt, she said, I'll share with you a story that happened to me some years ago when she still had small children at home. Her mother was very sick. She had to be hospitalized. And during the hospitalization, the the mother's daughter, the, the lady who was present at our class, she said she left her family She basically almost moved into the hospital to take care of her mother. 
And she was there day and night, giving her devoted care. The mother really appreciated it. And then, Baruch Hashem, she healed and she became much, much better. And she was able to be moved to a nursing care facility where she didn't need her daughter's round-the-clock care anymore. And so the daughter came back home and she went to visit her mother every couple of days, twice a week and no more. Well, she began to get phone calls from her mother every day. Why are you leaving me here? I need you. Why aren't you coming to see me? I need you to come. And the daughter began to feel very, very guilty. I, I should be with my mother. She needs me in, 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 the, in, the, in the nursing care facility. But on the other hand, my family needs me. What should I do? She felt very, very torn. And we can understand this feeling. Many of us are in these kind of situations frequently and throughout our days. We are torn between various people who claim that they need us. Sometimes it's our children. Sometimes it's our parents. Sometimes it's our friends. Or it's uh, business associates. And we are made to feel guilty. And we somehow, we take it on. And we believe what they're saying. And we end up making decisions that might be different than what we would have made if we would have had a clear head free of the guilt. So this woman was very lucky. She had a Rav. And she called the Rav and she asked him what she should do. She said, I have this situation. My mother's begging me day and night. And I'm feeling so awful. But my children need me. And I was away from them for quite a few days while I was caring for my mother in hospital. And the Rav said to her, your place right now is with your children at home. But your mother needs to feel that you love her. So call her each day and tell her, Mommy, I'm thinking about you and I love you so much and I'm looking forward to coming and seeing you. And I'm sorry I can't come today, but I'm, I'm really looking forward so much to seeing you when I can come on Tuesday and I'll bring something nice. And this is what she did. She began to call her mother and give over these sentiments. And slowly but surely, the mother dropped all of the guilt trip expressions and instead she expressed her gratitude to her daughter for coming and peace was restored now not every parent is as emotionally sound as this elderly mother was not every mother would give up the guilt trip and many parents maintain long healthy vocal guilt trips on the phone in person whenever you see them there's a you know, a whole diatribe, a whole lecture about what kind of a child are you? What kind of generation is this? And people that I know, women around the world, are exposed to this, unfortunately, from their parents. And our, since this, this, uh, this woman was lucky, she had a rabbi who told her, yes, this is what you need to do. Frequently, we need to work out for ourselves. Who needs me the most? My children need me. Yes, my parents also need me, but I, it's, it has to be within, within the limit of what can be expected of me as a person. And I can call them each day and tell them, I love you, I miss you, I'm looking forward to seeing you. And, you know, when, when we're together, it's so, so nice to see you. We can express our care for them, even if we are unavailable. And we can try and ignore all of the guilt, and we can help ourselves to come to a conclusion that works for all of us 
hopefully if we have a Rav, we can discuss it with a Rav, we can discuss it with a mentor, and we can find the right way for us. It's very important that we help ourselves to distinguish between real remorse for something that I have actually done wrong and guilt when other people think that I have done something wrong, yet I'm doing everything that I can that's right. And many, many of us around the world are in those kinds of situations where we've done everything that we can. And the people who are disappointed in us don't realize just how much we have on our plate and how much we're trying and how hard it is for us to keep it all together and how we simply really don't have another minute or another ounce of strength to be able to take on whatever project it is that they believe that we should be taking on. And so they say things that sometimes we end up feeling guilty when we hear them say, say these things. And so it's important that we have the tools for helping ourselves to create a certain amount of immunity to the guilt trip that other people want to send us. It said, if you don't want to go on a guilt trip, or if someone wants to send you on a guilt trip, don't buy the ticket. In one of my classes recently, a woman asked, can somebody make you feel guilty? And I said to her, you know, they can try really hard. <laughs> and some people really do try very hard. But whether or not you end up actually feeling guilty is going to be our own decision. We're the ones who eventually buy the ticket or we're the ones who eventually buy into their view of who we are. Because that's what we're doing when we go on that guilt trip. I want to share some stories, as usual, that help ourselves to understand more about the process that we can go through to help ourselves. Very special dear friend who is also a participant in one of the programs, she has a, a son who went through a traumatic experience as a child. And when he got older, um, he, he, he left the path and he flew to a different country and ended up marrying a Jewish Ethiopian woman. Um, now, it was, she's Jewish, she's non-religious, um, she's not connected to, to a Torah community, even though she comes from a Jewish family. And the mother found this, found this, hard to deal with, even though she was Baruch Hashem, she was happy that it was at least a Jewish girl, but it was not what she'd been hoping for, it was not from the community that she was hoping for, and it was, it was very hard for her to swallow, and initially she was so angry, frustrated, and upset that she was just wanted them to get divorced, she didn't want this marriage to continue. In this other country, the, the, the son was settled, and he was building his life, and he had a child, and had another child. And after doing a lot of work on herself, this mother said, I'm going to go and visit. I'm going to accept them. I'm going to accept my daughter-in-law. And I'm going to love her. And I'm, I'm going to decide that, that Kirov is not my job. Meaning there are lots of Kirov professionals. There are lots of people in the world whose job it is to help unaffiliated Jews to come back to their roots. That's not my job. I'm just going to be a mommy over here. I'm just going to enjoy having a trip with my children. And she went on the trip 
And they live actually in the center of a Jewish community where many people are, are around, are from Jewish community. And so she said whenever they would walk out, you know, she was very dark and very undressed. Um, okay, according to local from standards, certainly very undressed. But they would walk, they would go out, and she would embrace her, and she would kiss her, and she would be friendly with her. And even though people would look at them from afar, like, this is very unusual, you know, Haredi mother and father, and then this, this son who's not even wearing a, a, a keeper, and this, you know, very dark, unusually looking, uh, skimpily dressed young woman. This family group, you know, raised a lot of eyebrows. But she was connected within herself to the knowledge that Hashem is with me, Hashem is giving me these children for a reason, I believe in their future. And because I believe in their future and I believe in these children, my grandchildren, I accept my daughter-in-law, I accept the choice my son has made right now, and I'm still hoping for them for the future, but I believe that there's going to be a time when this is going to turn around. And she was able to bring herself to the point where she didn't feel guilty, for what had taken place and she was able to accept them with simcha and to really enjoy the vacation and that was really the, the beautiful part of this rather than feeling so depressed and down through that whole trip she said they had a fall of a time they really enjoyed being with the grandchildren they had a great relationship with the son and a very warm relationship with the daughter-in-law they had wonderful times together and she came home bursting with joy, feeling that she felt Hashem's hand holding her and carrying her all through the trip. She had tremendous Ashkacha practice all through the trip. But the most important is that she had rid herself of the guilt that would normally, that meaning she would have felt just up to last year. Another woman shared with me that she has a son who is simply not going to Shiva anymore. He's 13, and he decided, I'm not going, just not going, I can't learn. He had had, again, another traumatic experiences through the younger years in yeshiva, and he just refused to learn, absolutely refused to learn. And so she and her husband decided they're just going to keep him home, just going to learn at home. And initially, her husband was devastated and guilty and angry. But after they had discussed this and worked on this idea of understanding that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is with them and a Kaddish Baruch Hu has chosen them and that some good is going to come out of this and that their job as parents is to provide him with the tools to live throughout his life, not just to make sure that he toes the line until he turns 18 and then blitzes off and does whatever he likes, but that through going through this challenge as a youth, he can strengthen himself and gain succor and comfort from the support of his loving parents. And through this, he can learn how to deal with any challenge that comes his way throughout his life. The husband began to, to turn towards the boy. She's, in the mother's words, he became his best friend. And they go out riding the bikes in the morning and they do things together. The mother said, the neighbors are horrified and up in arms that they have this boy at home. Sometimes they knock on the door and say nasty things, and the neighbors meet her on the stairs and say, why don't you just send him away to yeshiva? Like, don't you realize what you're doing to him? They all have their different opinions, but she is continually trying to fight this and maintain her belief that what she's doing is the right thing, even though it's very, very hard. 
It's very, very hard to live our truth in the face of other people's criticism, especially when they're, when they're not silent about it. And unfortunately, many people in the world don't know how to keep their mouths closed. And so they talk a whole lot more than they should and butt into things that are not their business. But that's only to give ourselves the chance to work and become the person that we can become. So let's talk a little bit more about what is then the journey that's here for us. What's part of how we're going to enable ourselves to rid ourselves of guilt and be able to do tshuva for what we're remorseful for. So I'm going to go back a little bit to conversation we've had previously in another class. But this is where it's relevant, comes out again over here. Many times ladies share with me all kinds of fascinating scientific information. And ladies shared with me the benefits of meditation, that it improves the memory, it increases uh, happy hormones within the body, it aids healing, and all kinds of other fascinating benefits of meditation. But I know that there are many communities that very, very much shy away from calling what we do together, the guided imagery, they don't want to call it a meditation, even though many ladies, when they speak to me over the phone, they freely describe what we're doing as meditation. So I don't know much about meditation. I decided that I would look it up in with Arya Kaplan's book, Jewish Meditation, to find out what is meditation and if it's true that we're doing something similar. I want to know what it is. With Arya Kaplan, Zetzal explains that Jewish meditation, the goal of Jewish meditation, is to feel HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence within us. That is the goal of meditation. And it was practiced as a pre-run for prophecy. Bands of meditators would get together, they would play music, they would help themselves get into a meditative state as a preparation that if then Hashem would choose to grant them prophecy, they would then be ready. And many of them would be granted prophecy. So meditation was a prerequisite for the prophetic experience. Rav Arya brings down a story brought in an ancient book that a Talmud Chacham, a scholar, came along to a group of misbeidedim, a group of meditators, and he asked to be allowed to join them. And the head of the meditators said back to him, let's see, I'm happy to ask you, let me ask you a few questions to see if you're, if you can, if you're at the level where you can join our group of meditators. He said, if somebody insults you, do you feel bad about it? And if somebody compliments you, do you feel pleasure? So the scholar said back to him, well, if somebody compliments me, yes, I do feel pleasure. And if somebody insults me, I feel pain, but I do not react to him. I do not um, take vengeance against him in any way. The head of the misbeidim said back to the scholar, if this is the case, Go in peace, for your place is not with us. When you feel no difference whatsoever, whether somebody is complimenting you or whether somebody is insulting you, then you will know you can come back in your place. You'll be able to join the misbeidim. So in order to meditate in a Jewish sense, 
One has to be on a very high level. And the level is that of total emotional independence. Not being dependent on the way other people view us at all. Not whether they're viewing us in a good light or whether they're viewing us in a negative light. But to have it be irrelevant what they think about us. Who of us can claim to be on such a level? This is a high spiritual level. And we know that all of our imahos, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, and Esther Hamalka, Devorah Hanaviah, they were all prophetesses. And so clearly, they had all gone through this stage of creating emotional independence within them. And then being misbeided, allowing themselves to meditate on the presence of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and then they received prophecy. So, Every Jewish person has to say, Chazal tell us, we have to say, Masai Yagiu Masai, the Masai voice say, when will my deeds reach the level of those of the Avois, of those of the Imahos? And so, if we want to go in the ways of our Imahos, of our holy mothers, this is one of their paths. This is one of their ways, creating emotional independence within us. Rav Aryakatan then goes on and explains to us why is this relevant to prophecy? What's the connection? And he explains that there is an inner connection between whether a person is influenced within himself by other people's opinions or whether he's not. He said the experience of prophecy is an intense experience of a Kaddish Baruch Hu within a person. If a person views himself as a composite of the way that all the other people in his life view him, and that's how he views himself, then he is like an empty box where the sides of the box, the outside of the box defines who he is, but the inside is empty. He doesn't have an inner awareness of himself independent of what's outside, independent of the way other people are viewing him. But when a person has gone through this process of creating emotional independence, not needing other people's positive feedback and not being bothered about their negative feedback, then they have within themselves a strong connection to their neshama, to the neshama, the peace of Elikami Mal, the peace of a Kodesh Baruch Hu that sits within us. And when they have a strong sense of themselves as being a neshama that sits within their body, but that this is a piece of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and that they are connected to Hashem always, this is the pre-runner for the feeling of misbeidedness, of, of turning into, tuning into a Kaddish Baruch Hu with deep meditation. And this then prepares them for the feeling of the presence of a Kaddish Baruch Hu intensely, in Nevoa. Now, clearly, I'm not trying to turn us all into prophets, but since we are all trying to go on the path of our Imahos, and we learn about all of their beautiful Midos, their davening, their tefillah, their Vatranus, how they were yielding, their Chesed, how they were always doing kindness for other people. We learned about these Midos all through high school and all through junior school. And we sung about them in the Mesibat Siddur when we received our Siddur and we learned about the other mothers. This is another important aspect 
of personal work that all of our Himahos did for themselves and that when we follow in their footsteps, it's something that we need to, to do for ourselves as well. Not only will it help us to progress in the path of Avodah Hashem, but it will also give us clearly much more inner peace, tranquility and happiness in our lives when we're independent of other people's opinions. Now, clearly, we all live in communities where it's important that we, that, that, that we don't do things that appear to be wrong. Maris Ayin, doing something that is not, uh, that appears to be inappropriate, is something that we are instructed not to do. We don't want other people to suspect that we did an Aveira. It's a chas v'shalom. It's a chilol Hashem for us to do that. So I don't mean that we should completely disregard the community and do whatever we like. But we have to, but we have to, but it's a mitzvah to act in a certain way in public and within our homes to make a kiddush Hashem. I'm not talking about changing the way that we behave. I'm talking about changing our inner reactions, changing our inner representations of ourselves to ourselves and creating a strong inner representation of ourselves as a neshama that is a piece of a Kaddish Baruch that sits within us, that Hashem is constantly connected to. And this will help us to be immune to the guilt that other people want to put upon us. Because this is clearly then going to help us create that kind of immunity. Another, some more stories. There was a lady from, originally from South Africa. She was in one of my classes in Yerushalayim. And she said that she had a son who, unfortunately, had gone off the path. And uh, in the summer, he was wearing cut-off, ripped jeans and a, and a very, very thin, totally sleeveless vest. And one day, she decided, you know, I'm just going to accept him. I'm just going to accept him as he is. I'm just going to give him unconditional love. As we were talking in class, this is something that she was trying to work on. And one day, it turned out that she was going out, and he was going out as well. And so she asked him, where are you going? And it turns out they were both going in the same direction. So she bravely, courageously said to him, come, let's go together. She wanted to give him the message that I'm not embarrassed to be seen with you. I want to go with you. I accept you as you are. Let's go together. And this was a new, a new courageous step for her. She said, they walked down the main street together and every single person that she didn't want to see was on that street that day. The Rosh Yeshiva and the rabbi and the, the head of the seminary, everybody, you know, the important people of the community, they were all walking down the street that day and watching them walk together. And every time she was given another opportunity to say, thank you, Hashem, you put me here so that I can strengthen my resolve and strengthen my inner representation of myself to myself that I'm doing the right thing no matter what other people think of me I know that this is what my son needs this is what I need to do for him and she was able to grow through allowing herself to do that wonderful story I read a while ago about a woman in Borough Park who was talking about how she raised I believe it was two, it might have even been three retarded children over 20 years ago when there were no developed uh, daycare for retarded children and she had nowhere to send them 
and no one who was going to take care of them for her. And she couldn't keep them at home with her all day because she just couldn't get anything done. They were just going to go wild and make a total mess. So listen to this, what she did. She said, every day I would get a little bag of, of quarters or dimes, don't recall what it was. And she said, I would dress the children up, the two, the two, two or three little boys, I would dress them up nicely. And we would go out with the stroller and we'd walk up and down the main streets of Borough Park and I would let them use the quarters and go on every single ride that was on the streets, these little, you know, rides that go up and down. Every single one, we would just walk up and down and I would, let my, I would, I would buy them a little bit of a treat. We would buy some bagels or, or, or some fast food for lunch because I, I couldn't go home and make lunch. As soon as I would go in, they would start going around the house and destroying things and I, would, I wouldn't be able to make food. And that's how I would spend every morning. And I had a wonderful time doing it. I enjoyed them. We had a wonderful walk. I came home refreshed. And then they took a nap or, or, or they'd been out all morning and they were also calmer and I was able to get my housework done. When I read this story that this woman had written, I was astounded at her ability to withstand what must have been a lot of social curiosity at the very minimum that must have been directed towards her on her daily promenade up and down the main streets of Borough Park. And yet she was able to hold within herself such a strong representation that I'm doing the right thing for my family. I'm not bad because I have two retarded children. This is a gift from a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So when I told this story recently in a class, a lady said to me, you know, she said my grandmother was, a, um, was an immigrant from Germany to America. And she gave birth to a Down syndrome boy 70 years ago. She said everybody told her, you know, just leave him, send him, send him away. She, but she, but her, her grandmother didn't do that. She sent him to public school, and she sent him also to Hebrew school. The people in the Hebrew school said, what do you do? What's he going to understand, Bichlal? And she said, no, I'm going to send him. He's going to learn. And this woman said her uncle, this Down syndrome young man, he learned how to work. He took the subway by himself. He became a highly functioning, independent man who, who lived a long, happy life. And this woman said her uncle was so normal that as a child she didn't even realize that he was that he was not 100% normal they accepted him and then he played with them and they loved him and they were very very fond of him and all because the mother was prepared to 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 look beyond and to not feel guilty and to not have the social pressure determine what she was going to do with her family it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of guts but she went to do it. Okay. Another woman. I'm sharing a lot of stories, but I think we can learn so much from, from, these, from these ideas. And then we're going to do some writing. And we'll finish off Be'ezah Hashem with guided imagery. Helping us to remove the guilt. Be'ezah Hashem. We're half an hour into today's class, Saturday Shmaya. Another woman said how one 
at one time she had two sons who were both sent home from yeshiva for various reasons. One was nine and one was 14. And she was feeling so guilty. She must be such a terrible mother. Must be, well, what's she doing? And she was feeling so depressed because she was so guilty. And the boys are feeling bad because she was feeling guilty. And there was a terribly low feeling penetrating and, and permeating the home. And one day she was on the phone with one of the, with the, with the younger boys, Rebbe, from uh, the one who was nine years old. And the Rebbe said to her, you know, when my son was sent home from Yeshiva, I took him skiing in Canada. I took him skiing for a while, for a couple of days. Well, the mother found this like to be exceptional, exceptional news. You mean, I don't have to feel horrible that he's sent home? You mean I can enjoy him while he's home? She understood this was a complete revelation to her. Yeshiva has its rules. And sometimes they'll need to send children home if they don't toe the line. But it doesn't mean you're a bad mother. It doesn't mean you need to feel guilty. And it doesn't mean that you need to all be punished. It's just these are the rules and the child has to learn to toe the line and to keep the rules. But in the meantime, you don't have to be miserable. So she said she took them both out to the zoo. They had a wonderful day. And within a week, they were both back in yeshiva, and, 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 and they carried on. But she had gained a very valuable lesson in how to help herself not feel guilty for circumstances that were beyond her control. Her children have their own choices, and they're going to continue having their own choices throughout our lives. Our job is to do the best that we can do. But the outcome the way our children turn out to be, or the way anything in our lives turns out to be, doesn't mean that we necessarily did something right if it turns out right, or doesn't mean that we did something wrong if it turns out wrong. I know many, many women who devoted tremendous mysterious nefesh to the education of their children, and they didn't always have tremendous nachas from every one of their children. And then there are also many people who were fairly lackadaisical parents, they didn't invest a tremendous amount in their, parent, in, their in their children or in their parenting, and yet their children came out really, really special. One lady in one of my classes recently said to me that she knows this woman who every one of her children is just a star. And people keep on saying to her, what did you do? What did you do? People keep on asking her. And, that, and now she says, whenever people ask her, she said, I yelled at them a lot. And she said, it's true. She really did yell at them a lot. She didn't have any kind of super-duper extraordinary parenting techniques. She was just a very ordinary parent who also yelled, also got upset, but her children came out great. So we don't have to feel guilty if our children don't all come out like little shining models. And we also don't have to feel that I did it if our children are successful. Sometimes we take too much credit as well. So... Our job is to strengthen the chelak elokamimal that sits within us, to strengthen our connection to the neshama that's within us. And that's what all of these women have done, those women who were able to brave what outsiders would say and nevertheless do what's right for their families even if other people look at them a little bit askance. They were able to not take on other people's opinions on board, 
but they were able to view themselves in a different way. So I want to share with you uh, another very meaningful and moving story that was just sent to me last week. I just wanted to send you my story since listening to the last class and doing the guided imageries daily on most days. As you know, my husband and I are struggling with infertility. Just want to give you some background. This young lady was in the Think Positive program two years ago. And at that point, she was in her late 20s and she was looking to get married. She said, she shared with me her story that, I, I might have said this last month, but again, just to, just to reintroduce her to us now, is that she was a guest in somebody's home and the host told everybody at the table that he was learning how to write beautiful ketubot, kasubas, marriage certificates. He was learning how to decorate them and, and they should become a beautiful piece of art that many people would hang on their walls. And she said to him, I want you to write my ketubah for me. And he was just training. So he said, well, when are you planning on getting married? She wasn't even engaged yet. And she answered him, well, within, two or three, within three or four months. He said, oh, I'll be trained by then. And they went on to something else. Well, she, Baruch Hashem, was engaged within that period of time. And they got married. And he wrote, he, he, he uh, painted for her a very beautiful ketubah. And she said, they, uh, so, let's, so let, let's go a little bit further. Okay, but unfortunately, after two years of marriage, they're still struggling with infertility. We don't have any children yet, which is making me quite depressed. And I often feel like a total failure. And question, why Hashem won't trust me enough to give me children like he does to most women? Now, again, she's just joined the present Think Positive program with the goal of helping herself to develop trust so that Be'ez Hashem, she will be zoiche, to have children. And so she's re-strengthening herself again with, so this is describing her state of mind before she began the program and now she's beginning to make changes. But notice that she feels like a failure and this is a real guilt question. She's feeling that Hashem doesn't trust me to give me children. Right? When something goes wrong in our lives, we think Hashem is punishing me or Hashem is send, is, doesn't trust me that I can get it right. When we don't understand how much Hashem loves us, we begin to give ourselves these kinds of guilt trips. She was here giving herself a guilt trip. I'm a failure. I'm somebody who is not trustworthy. And that's why Hashem hasn't given me a chance. Okay, let's go on. Sometime after we got married, we moved to a new community away from our parents that we thought would be good for a family of young children, which we assumed we would soon have. We bought a house with a bedroom for children, even with baby clothing, a crib, and a stroller, which now it makes me so sad to see them unused. Here in our community, everyone else seems to have children. And now that I still don't have any, I'm very socially excluded. Because most women make friends due to having children in their kindergarten together, or in school, or they meet in the playground. For the first year, we barely ever went out. Now, after two years, it's a little better. This past Shabbat, we were invited to someone with several young children who, was a, who, who the mothers around my age. I was so excited that someone had invited us that I was expecting this to be a great Shabbat without the loneliness I had got used to. I'd been imagining in my mind how it will be like 
when we do have children. And when in shul, I imagined I would hold my baby and how my toddler would play on the floor like other women's toddlers do. Or how my older children would go downstairs to run with the other kids who are outside. I was so happy and felt so hopeful. Then at the meal, I played in my mind with the host children and I familiarized myself with their favorite toys, thinking of which ones would be good for my children. Even on the way to the meal, I was on a high and told my husband how I can't wait to have my baby by the time that I had anticipated and I shared with him all of my dreams of how it would be. He was also so excited to share my dream with me. As it turned out, the meal itself was just awful. Another family with children joined the meal. The hostess knew this family through the children's kindergarten. And from then on, for the next three hours, I was completely excluded from their company and conversation. They talked exclusively about the children, the kindergarten, toilet training, how to be a parent. Not once did the hostess even acknowledge that I was there. My husband tried several times to change the topic, talking about someone else's exotic holiday or some other topic he could bring up. But the hostess swiftly changed the conversation to be about her children and her parenting experiences again. Even the host couldn't get a word in about the Pasha. At this stage, I excused myself to go into another room because I knew I wouldn't be able to hold back my tears anymore. I felt so excluded and unimportant for not being a mother. There in the other room, I collected myself. I looked at myself in a the mirror there and I said to myself, Hashem loves me always. Hashem protects me and my family. Hashem gives me success. I didn't give up. And when I returned to the table, instead of listening to more painful talk about the activities of their children, I kept imagining the salvation just there beneath the surface. Soon we could go home. Soon I would have true friends who would love me even if I don't have children. Soon I would have children too. And it worked. I was able to stay calm and smile. And when we were finally able to leave, I told my husband what was bothering me, that I was really trying so hard not to cry because it was Shabbat. He reacted so kindly. He told me that he'd noticed how I'd played with the children and he could see that I'll be just a great mommy because I'm so good with the children and that we never need go to this family again if I didn't want to. I felt that through his, my husband's kindness, Hashem was smiling at me and telling me how much he also wants to give to me. In the past, I would have taken what had happened as another cruel trick from Hashem. But now I was able to see it as Yisurim Shel Ahava. I have always wanted to learn to be sensitive to other people's pain and to understand them. And suddenly I got such an insight into it. How do orphans feel when people talk about their parents? How do other people feel who can't walk? when people casually talk about the joys of exercising or walking? How do singles feel when everyone talks about their wedding or engagement? I can see it so much more clearly now. I think it is so easy to lose hope when the Yeshua does not come immediately. But I can now really feel that Hashem is with me in my suffering and I feel so close to Him. That in itself is a gift. And now I truly believe that any time now, I will be able to send you good news. Many thanks. Such a powerful and deep story. But what I want to focus on is what this young woman said, that before 
she would have experienced this as a cruel trick from Hashem. She would feel that she was bad, that she was guilty, and that Hashem was sending her this horrible experience to trick her, which is such an awful and, and, and lowly way to think about ourselves. But now through strengthening her belief in Hashem's love for her, and again strengthening her connection with her neshama within herself, that this Nisham is connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. She was able to sense and feel that Hashem's love is with her, even in the middle of this challenge. And that she is good, and that she is beloved, even if those around her are excluding her completely. She was able to tune into her innate value in Hashem's eyes, even if the other people are not valuing her as they should. Clearly, these people were not behaving as, as true Yidin should. But it was, they were shalichim from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They were the messengers from Hashem to enable her to arouse within herself her true self-worth. And again, our true self-worth is our knowledge of the neshama that's within me, that this is who I truly am. I am my neshama, a special neshama that HaKadosh Baruch has chosen. And my Hashem has packed my neshama with good things, all kinds of treasure trove of fantastic midos, of exceptional strength, of potential. And that's who I am. And even if all those people can't see it and don't care about it, I have value in Hashem's eyes. And Hashem loves me. And that was what she came out with. This, this woman did at that Shabbos table exactly what we are describing. She helped herself to become independent of what was going on around her and to build her strength within herself so she wouldn't feel guilty for not being just like them that it wasn't that she was bad and that Hashem was withholding something from her because of her inability to be able to have children, but that Hashem is withholding it temporarily for a good reason, to enable her to grow. We can help ourselves to learn from this kind, this, this woman's very moving experience, to help ourselves to create within ourselves this knowledge that whatever people are saying around me is really irrelevant to my own life. Most other people do not know what's going on in my life. And if they have an opinion about what I should be doing, why I should be doing it, even if they're my parents or my siblings or my good friends, there might be very good reasons why I cannot share with them the truth about what's exactly going on inside my life. And so if they are disappointed in me or if they believe I should be doing something differently and I cannot explain myself to them, I have to have the strength within myself, the independence, to not be swayed and to make the decisions that are right for me. The Chavetz Chaim was once asked, what is the difference between a Gehoib and a Mensch a high, elevated person who has emuna and bitachon, who has faith and trust in Hashem, and a simple person. And the Chavetz Chaim answered that when a simple person is presented with a challenge in his life, it appears to him like a wall, and all he sees is the wall in front of him. But a gohaiben mensch, a big person, he sees the wall, but he also sees beyond the wall. He can look beyond the present circumstances to hope, to anticipate, 
says something good is going to come. The Yeshua is going to come. There's a reason for why I'm going through this that's going to lead to a better tomorrow. And that's what I'm holding on to, the hope in tomorrow that's going to come. A big person with emun ambitachin glimpses over the wall. But a person who is standing in front of the wall and they're constantly looking over their shoulder to see what other people are thinking about them. What's this one saying? What's my neighbors thinking? What are my parents say, saying about me? What are my sisters saying? What are the people across the street saying about me? What are my friends saying about me? They cannot be present enough to look over the wall. They're too busy looking all around and taking in what other people are thinking of them. And so they deprive themselves of the value of being able to peek over the wall because they're too busy looking all around. What this young woman did was she took her wall, the wall of the present infertility, and she was able to reconstruct it in her mind so that it meant something else entirely. So that this situation and the Shabbos, the disaster, Shabbos Suda, turned out not to be disastrous after all, but actually became an opportunity for her to find Hashem's love for her deeply within herself and to create a strong independence reminiscent of the way that our Imahos must have lived. They also struggled with infertility and they also had to work on themselves. Sarah Emenu was told she was going to be the mother of, the, of, of a generation and yet she didn't see it. She had to fight constantly against what other people must have said. They'll never, give, they'll never have children anymore, is what the Shemur was, what the, the rumor was going around. Nobody thought she would still be able to have children. So helping ourselves to be able to look over the wall, rather than looking around at what everybody else is saying about me and feeling then guilty, based on other people's assessment of me and what's going on in my life, is going to help me, is going to free me up emotionally to be able to look over the wall. I want to share with you another, another wonderful email that I received from women. I believe we can learn so much from all these anecdotes that I'm sharing them all. Okay, so she says, okay, she asks you, please see this story of what happened when we went to the dentist and pushed the guilt away. Please bear in mind, I used to be the president of the Always Feel Guilty About Something Club. Okay? <laughs> this is what she says. A great moment in the dentist's office. Wednesday evening, I sent my 10-year-old out to hang notices in nearby buildings because we were looking for an apartment for Shabbos. Some family of ours, a young Chosan and Kala, were going to come for Shabbos. Now I will tell you a great tip. Don't cut sellotape with your front teeth if one of them is a crown. Yes, my son's crown fell off and I wanted it repaired before Shabbos. I thought it would be a two-minute thing just to glue the crown back on. It looked basically all right. So the next day in the afternoon, I called the dentist and they said they could see him. I persuaded the 10-year-old to get out of the pool and get dressed and I forbade anyone else to go in while we were out. Thus, Thursday afternoon found me in the dentist's office with my son for a two-minute job. We waited a little while until he was called in. I was thinking thoughts like this. 
Is this a punishment? Maybe it's because I might be being slightly dishonest about a certain project to try and earn money. Or maybe it's because Dabka today after work, I changed into a T-shirt that I only wear in the house because it's a little thinner than what I normally wear and it wasn't actually maybe the highest level of sneers, but everything else was in the laundry. The third option that came to mind was that this trip to the dentist was a reward. It felt a bit far-fetched, but I decided to go with the third option. It's a reward. The dentist called us in and looked at my son and the crown, and then he went off to prepare the crown to go back inside. I was already feeling a bit pressured for time. The older children were desperate to have their turn in the pool, and supper had not yet been prepared. The dentist took his time coming back. I wondered, what could be the matter? The dentist and nurse returned. The nurse said to me, a problem came up. The crown fell into a hole and we can't find it. I would have been speechless with surprise, but I had heard a Devar Torah earlier in the day about how we are pawns in the hand of Hashem and every moment, we, every movement we all make is designed from above. So I told them that, well, he'll have to have a new crown. They said, a new crown? We had to sing and dance before we got this crown. I was in Tel Hashoma Hospital for two days because of that broken front tooth. A new crown? Well, we didn't have much choice but to wait the 20 minutes it would take the dentist to prepare the crown. I knew I didn't have to pay for it. It was all under insurance. We returned to the waiting room. I thought and thought about how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves me and how he loves us for free, even when we don't deserve it. If there was a problem with my honesty or with the t-shirt, I could deal with that separately, but it truly did not have to cause a punishment down here. I daydreamed a story about the strength of Ahavas Hashem and the feelings of guilt melted away. I was loved by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. We were all loved by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. I ordered pizza to the house. While we were waiting there, and I told the children it would be coming soon. And that calmed the older children who were waiting to get back into the pool. I was so intensely happy that I had got rid of the guilty shadow. Those guilt feelings I had before had been making me feel terrible in an already stressed situation. Instead, we walked out the dentist's office two hours later and I did not feel at all negative, just calm and happy that we had got the job done. The 10-year-old declared on the way home that the new crown felt much better than the old one. So apart from the two-hour loss, I think we were the winners. Thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for your love and for the gift of positive thinking. So beautiful. Now, obviously, we do need to make a chesh ben a nefesh. We do need to notice if we did something wrong. But... Feelings of guilt, feeling bad, feeling that I am, I'm, I'm, I'm causing my family to suffer because of me. All of this is not helping us to anticipate Yeshua Hashem. First, we have to know Hashem loves me and that Hashem is going to heal me and that Hashem is going to send me the Yeshua. And then I can make a cheshbon and nefesh afterwards. I can make an accounting. I can feel remorseful and regret the things that I have done. And I can do tshuva for them. So, what we're going to do now is we're going to do some writing. Okay? I want you to take a piece of paper, a large piece of paper, and hold it 
with the long side across and the shorter side going up and down because we have a few columns. We're going to have altogether four columns. No, five columns, sorry. We're going to have five columns, and I want you to have enough space to write in each column. So get yourself now a piece of paper and divide it into five columns. Okay, in the first column, I want you to write down a short description of a situation that you're uncertain whether it is remorse or guilt. You're not sure whether you're feeling a real sense of regret for something that you have done wrong or whether you are feeling guilty and that you've done things right, but that you haven't, but, you have, but you're still feeling uh, residual guilt, that's not a positive emotion. Okay? So again, column number one, we're just going to write down the various situations that exist in our life that we have a kind of a bad feeling about them. And we might not be sure right now whether we are feeling remorse, whether what we're feeling is actually a call to tshuva, that we've done something wrong, or whether we're feeling bad because we're feeling bad and maybe, maybe it's guilt. Okay, so I'm going to give you uh, half a minute to write down the situations in column number one. I'm going to give you a full minute. I think we need more, more than just 30 seconds. You know what, I'm going to actually leave it another couple of minutes so that you can really describe. I see that minute is not very long. I'm going to give you another, another minute or two to write down really as many situations as you can think of where you have a bad feeling in yourself about them and you're not sure whether you're feeling guilt or remorse. Okay, so take your time.
Okay. Now I want you to ask yourself, for each of these situations, I'm going to give you four different questions, but we'll go one question at a time. You look through your list, answer the first question, and then we'll go on to the next question. So the first question, I want you to ask yourself about each situation is, is there some tshuva to do here? Do I actually need to do tshuva? Did I do an avera in this, even in the finest sense in what I did over here? very interesting and and important uh, addition while we're writing and thinking is Rav Tauber again we're now one hour into today's class Rav Tauber talks about guilt a lot he deals with lots of different parents people in various situations and many people feel guilty for things that they don't need to feel guilty for and he brings in this discussion the mitzvah of building a ma'akeh, of putting railings on our roof. And the Pasuk says, so that the faller shouldn't fall. And the Mephoshim mentioned, this is very strange, why is a person who falls over there called a faller? The Pasuk really should say, so that no one should fall. Why is he called a faller? Explains with Tauber, because this person was destined to fall from the beginning of time. But we need to make sure and ensure that people shouldn't fall from our roof. We shouldn't be the means for bringing about disaster, but if it would take place, we have to know that it wasn't us that caused it. We were not the cause, but we might have been the means. Hashem has many ways of getting something done. And if a person's destiny is to fall, then Hashem has many places from where they could fall. But if a person has found that some, and Rav Tauber mentions this in the context of children going off the path, that if a child has fallen, then they were destined to fall. And we have to know that, that 
the cause of why they felt was not this Rebbe or that situation or the parenting. The cause was that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has decided that this is this person's life plan. And a Kaddish Baruch Hu who says, La'ilam I die, a Kaddish Baruch Hu who says, enough to the creation of the world when the world was created and began to continually expand. A Kaddish Baruch Hu said, enough, and the world stopped at that point even though we know there is still a certain expansion still going on. But Hashem stopped the, 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 the world, the globe that is the world that we live on, stopped its, its development at a certain point. So Akadosh Baruch Hu says to everyone who is falling, die. This is the lowest point I'm going to let you to reach. There is a point below which they will not be allowed to fall. And Akadosh Baruch Hu is the one who decides. And he does not allow people to fall below that bottom point. And the Kodesh Baruch Hu is Saimech Neiflin. The Kodesh Baruch Hu supports the fallen. And says, Rav Yaakov Meir Shechter, that whoever has fallen to a certain point, they have to know that it's only because there's a certain spark, there's a certain tikkun that needed to be fulfilled in, from that low place. And that's where they had to go down there in order to elevate, in order to bring up whatever was down there. These are lofty ideas that we don't understand fully. But to understand that there's a reason that a Kodesh Baruch Hu has a plan, that this fall wasn't a mistake, it wasn't that Hashem ignored me or punished me, but that Hashem has a specific mission for this child through the fall. And Hashem is so mechnoitlam, Kodesh Baruch Hu supports the fallen and lifts them up and gathers them in. Hashem is close to the brokenhearted, and the Kaddish Baruch Hu loves us and is close to us in our pain and in our distress. So, this can help us to understand, Rav Tauber says, if we know that we did do something wrong in our parenting, then we need to do tshuva for what we did wrong. But if we didn't do something wrong, then we don't have to do tshuva. So, this first question, is the tshuva to do here? Did I do something wrong? If I say I did do something wrong, then I need to do tshuva. I need to, I need to regret it. I need to say to Hashem, I'm sorry I did it. I'm not going to do it again. And I need to ask forgiveness for whoever it was that I didn't treat the way that I should have treated. But if I didn't do something wrong, or if I all have already completed my tshuva, then we're going to ask ourselves the next question. Am I worried what other people will think about me because of this? Okay, this is column number three. So column number one was a situation. Column number two was, is there tshuva to do in this situation? And column number three, am I worried in this situation about what other people think of me? Okay? A minute to write that down in your, in your sheet.
Okay, next question. Am I making myself feel bad by telling myself bad things about myself? I mean, am I making myself feel guilty? Am I putting myself down? Do I feel I am bad because of this situation? Okay, so the question number two was, am I concerned about what other people are saying or thinking about me? And over here, am I blaming myself? Am I telling myself that I'm bad and that I'm guilty over here, even if there was no actual tshuva? So once I've ruled out, meaning in the situations where there is no tshuva to do, or even in situations where there was tshuva, but am I actually feeling that I'm bad? Am I feeling that I'm guilty in this situation? Above and beyond the remorse for tshuva. Okay? So ask yourself that question for each of the situations. If it's unclear, please push star six and go ahead and ask a question. Okay, and last question. Can I feel happiness even as I think about this situation? Can I allow myself to feel happiness about this situation? Okay, now that you have this ready, we're just going to be able to, to look at them a little bit. If I know that I have tshuva to do, then I can go ahead, put it on my Elul program list of what I need to do in Elul. I need to do tshuva, and I could even begin to do it now. I could call somebody up and apologize. I can say, Hashem, I'm sorry I did this. I'm not going to do it again. And I can make for myself a plan of how not to do it again. If I am worried about what other people will think, then I need to know that I am feeling guilty from other people over here. And if I'm feeling bad myself, beyond the prompt to do tshuva, 
I have to understand I'm giving myself a guilt trip. And if I find that I cannot feel happiness, then I need to know that all of this guilt that I'm putting upon myself from my fantasy about what other people are thinking about me and from what I'm thinking about myself is preventing me from living the life the way Kaddish Baruch wants me to live. Hashem wants me to live b'simcha. Hashem wants me to come close to Him b'simcha. I have to have mysterious nefesh for simcha shel mitzvah we've discussed many times. And simcha is a protection for my emunah, says the Pesnetzner Rebbe, that we can only sense our emunah when we are b'simcha. And since my emunah is what's going to help me to get through my nisayan, I'm only going to be able to access my deep reservoir of emuna when I have simcha. So, preventing myself from feeling simcha through the guilt is exactly where the Yitzhahara wants me to be. He wants me to feel guilty, so I won't be able to feel simcha, so I won't be able to feel emuna, and that I won't be able to then be able to hope for the future and believe that Hashem has a good plan and believe in Hashem's love for me. My simcha enables me to feel all of that. So, having said all of this, we're going to get ready to do a guided imagery together, as Hashem, to help us to create independence from other people's negative thinking and from our own negative thinking about ourselves. Ladies on the line, any questions before we do the guided imagery together? Please push star six. It's good to see you on the line. Okay, fine. I do want to make one quick announcement before we do the guided imagery together, and that is that Bissiata Dishmaya, my husband, is now um, just begun a, a second round of a men's series. It's a live group that's taking place in Beitar. He now has two live groups that he's teaching in Beitar. And he's now ready, Be'ezus Hashem, to launch in Elul a series for men. So I'm announcing this early to our dear friends from the Live Positive program. And I want to ask, ladies, if you can ask at home if your husbands might be interested in a program in Elo. It would not be 20 classes, but it will be initially only 10 classes, an hour and a half each. And those 10 classes will be the similar content to our first eight classes, the first eight classes of the Think Positive program, going through the blocks, understanding Emuna, Bitachan, Simcha, Hope, Tzipiyala Yeshua, anticipating the Yeshua, and feeling Hashem's love for us. And then the work through in class number eight will be in their class number 10. In addition, it's, it is going to be specifically geared towards men, and there will be a a, uh, a, a download a, uh, or, or a, a booklet of sources downloadable for every single class um, and so, because it's important for men to be able to look inside and see the sources that are being discussed. So my husband has collected the sources, made copies of every source, and they will be made available to everybody who joins the men's program. And it, clearly it's going to be uh, really to help men. So the questions we want to know are, is it important to hear the class live or would they be just as happy in hearing it as a recording? And if they do want to hear it live, does it make a difference which time of the day? Clearly, 
men are working or they're learning and they might have whistles at night. So maybe it's harder to find a time that men are listening and will be able to listen to life. But having said that, maybe there is a time that men would, yes, be able to listen live. And so if there is a preferred time, we would like to get that information in as we prepare to advertise the program and to fix the time when it will take place. In addition, um, we want to know if men would be like to listen on smartphones or if they would like to listen on a phone line or get an email download, what's going to be the most convenient way for people to listen. So, ladies who are listening, ladies who are joining me on the line, if you can give me your feedback, either call Javi Tambor if you're in England and tell her. If any husband's interested, please call Javi and let her know. And if you're in the States, you can let Slivy know. And well, you can email us. Anybody who has access to email, please go ahead and email uh, Chaya613 at gmail.com with your answer to those questions or if your husband is interested. Okay? And if husbands are interested, they can directly email my husband at Moshe Allen, M-O-S-H-E-A-L-L-E-N, at gmail.com. Beginning of Elul, and they get four full classes in before Rosh Hashanah, and then they will continue after Sukkot. Be'ezras Hashem Yisbarach. Okay. So now we're going to do a little guided imagery together. How to remove guilt from our lives. Be'ezras Hashem. Sit comfortably and close your eyes. Allow your arms to rest gently on your legs. Allow your shoulders to relax in the chair you're sitting in. You can let your breath become deeper and deeper. And as you hear the sound of my voice, you gradually become more and more relaxed. Any sounds in the background or happenings going on around you will all become part of the background of becoming more and more relaxed. And as you breathe deeply, feeling your breath fill your lungs and gently breathing out, you feel the love and light of Hashem shining down on you. Hashem loves you. Hashem has chosen you. Hashem is with you always.
Now imagine you're walking out of the room, leaving the building, and you find yourself on a path lined with soft green grass, dotted with wild flowers, shades of pale lilac, soft yellow and peach colored. You walk down the path, enjoying the sounds of nature and the peacefulness. The path leads to a wide, grassy field lined on one side by tall, shade-giving trees. You take a few moments to walk through the soft grass, hearing it rustle at your feet, enjoying the view, the birds and butterflies, enjoying the breeze and the gentle sun. Then you notice a comfortable deck chair conveniently placed in the shade near the edge of the grassy field facing the beauty all around you. You walk over and sit down, feeling the comfort of the chair. You inhale deeply the sweet fragrances and the tranquility of the scene that surrounds you. Repeat to yourself in your mind your empowering core belief. Now you stand and walk to the middle of the field. There arises in front of you a tall wall. You stand in front of the wall and see appearing before you screened as if a movie a situation or a challenge in your life. A situation where you feel some guilt and heaviness. You watch 
the scene unfold. A scene that has happened or a scene that you are concerned could happen. And watch it for a minute. As you watch, people begun to come closer to you and stand around you, behind you in a semicircle, facing the wall. They are all the people in your life that you are concerned about what they think about you and this situation. Imagine what each one of them is thinking about you now. Now think to yourself, what thoughts you think about yourself in this situation? What thoughts are making you feel guilty and heavy that you're thinking about yourself? Now you begin to tell yourself, Hashem has chosen this specific challenge for me with love. Hashem is with me, next to me, close to me. And as you talk, and say these words. The scene being screened on the wall in front of you disappears. And the wall before you is transformed into the Kosal Hamaravi, the Western Wall. Mashkiach Acha Kaslenu. Shir Hashirim says that the wall represents Hashem's presence constantly with us. And as you stand before this holy wall of love, you continue to tell yourself words of empowerment. Hashem is close to me. 
Hashem loves me. The details of this challenge have been crafted to bring out my strengths and the innate strength in those around me. Hashem is with me in my pain, carrying the burden, sharing my trouble. Hashem wants to do good for me. Hashem wants me to hope to Him. Now you look around at all the people behind you and you imagine how all of their negative thoughts the imaginary negative thoughts that you think they're thinking about you rise up out of their heads and hover above them and all the negative thoughts the guilt provoking judgmental thoughts that you think about yourself rise up out of your own head you could imagine them as sounds conversations that are taking place above them or a kind of a fog and a haze and then all of these thoughts negative conversations guilt provoking fantasies gather together come closer and closer forming a ball in your hands. It is now up to you what you are going to do with all of these thoughts. Do you want to keep them in your life? Or do you want to allow yourself to be rid of them? You throw the ball far, far away. It bounces off into the distance until it completely disappears. And as the ball bounces away, the further it gets from you, you begin to grow. You grow and you grow so that your head reaches the top of the wall. You grow more as the ball gets further and further away and your head is peeking over the wall and as the ball disappears, you find, you can see off into the distance and peek into 
the potential for the future that your imuna tells you is over that wall. Take a minute to imagine what's on the other side of the wall that is this challenge. You'll hear my voice in one minute. Now you turn to face the people standing around you and you realize they're really not interested in your life. They have their own life and you see them walk off to take care of their own business. And as you stand next to the wall, a feeling of closeness to Hashem envelops you. You know that your neshama is a piece of Hashem that He puts within you. You know Hashem loves you. You know He is close to you. Your belief in his love sits deep inside you. You can feel that place within you where you sense Hashem's love for you. This is your true self. This is the place of your emuna. And this is the place of your happiness. Allow yourself now to feel a simcha, a happiness, even with the challenge in your life. To feel a happiness in your imuna, in Hashem's love for you, in your belief in the future that you have glimpsed on the other side of the wall. You'll hear my voice in a minute.
You breathe in Hashem's love for you. You breathe in your hope for the future. You breathe in the knowledge that Hashem will help you to do tshuva for that which you need to do tshuva for. And to feel simcha in the gift that is your life. The gift of the specifics of the situations that Hashem has given to you to help you become who you uniquely can be. You're sitting in the deck chair, breathing in the freshness and the tranquility. You take a few last moments to feel the stillness and the peace of this place. And all that you have felt in this field, you know you can revisit this place at any time. Then you stand and walk back through the grass towards the path, which brings you to the building. You enter the room sit back down again in your comfortable chair and when you're ready open your eyes and join us back here on the line and over the next few days you may find that you're able to gently push aside imaginary thoughts of guilt either directed at you consciously by other people or in your imagination or from yourself and you'll be able to find a happiness and emuna in the future over the wall. Thank you, ladies, for joining me on the line. Thank you all who are listening to the recording. Thank you for your contact and your stories and your feedback. It's wonderful to be able to be in touch with women who are working so hard on becoming the best people they can be. Look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a wonderful month and a healthy, happy summer together with friends and family. Bye-bye.